0: All right, warm-up question for you guys. Warm-up question for you. Uh, you're a little bit warm. Let's see if your brain can keep up. How do you get your faith on? How do you get your faith on? You're going out into your day. You know, faith is a big deal. Faith changes everything we say around Blue water. So how do you get your faith on? What's your way? I'm going to give you eight seconds to think about it. Then we're going to get our faith on. All right, how do you get your faith on? Go. Who's got Prayer. Robin's the best Christian always. She's got the best Christian answers, so that's awesome. Prayer. What else? How do you get your faith on? Seriously, does prayer work for you? You pray in the morning. Do you get faithed up when you do that? Yeah? Probably it's self-selection. If you continuously pray in the morning, that's how you find your faith. If you find no faith in it, your prayer life probably dwindles, right? Yeah. All right. What else? What else? Worship, it's good. All sorts of ways to worship. See God for who he is, and it helps elevate your spirit a little bit. What else? Brian? For my first thing in the morning, I pause, and meaning because I have a lot of things that are Ah. But when I pause and I linger, um, I honestly, using the opportunity to say something to me, and frequently, honestly, being I mean frequently. It changes the direction of my day right then and then. Interesting, interesting. I don't know if you heard that. But Brian says that when he gets up in the morning, he pauses. And the pause is how he gets his faith on. Because we wake up in the morning and then immediately we think about all the stuff that is going to meet us during the day, right? Uh, and that can dominate us. But he pauses and he gives the Lord a chance to, to speak. And he says, often during that moment, the whole direction of his day will change. The powerful pause. I like that. That's great. Yeah, what else? Who's got one? Yeah, is that Lori? Be bold. Get your faith on by getting your bold on, baby. Yeah, Derek. Count, count, blessings, and, uh, seek. count blessings and seek need. Count blessings and seek need. Look for need. Look for need in the world around you, like that? Boy, there's a whole conversation there. That's a good one. Uh, that spirit of thankfulness helps, right? Because it tends to it sort of... Uh, moves us away from bitterness. And then if you seek need, that's a really interesting answer. That's really interesting because if you seek need in the world around you, well, then what you're doing is you're finding uh, ministry opportunities, right? Something like that, probably. That's really interesting. Is it Al? What you got? Capture every thought for Jesus. Every thought for Jesus. Albert is quoting a piece of scripture there, but a disciplined mind because, because whatever battle you fight, uh, the first skirmish is always right here, Right? Uh, and uh, so just try to discipline your thinking. You can work out your, your brain like you work out any muscle in your body and get it moving in the right way. That's really interesting. Yes, sir? Uh, preach, the to preach the gospel to myself. That's interesting. So that, that's, a pr- that's a pretty positive uh, mode of self-talk. Yeah, preach the gospel to myself. That's way better than singing in the shower. Yes, the hot Chinese... <laughs> Hot Chinese chick up front. Take the time to feed on scripture. Feed on scripture. Uh, which just speaks of an attitude, right? For reading scripture, not just reading scripture. You're actually looking for something to nourish you, to make you stronger. And that's probably a pretty good way to approach it. All right, one more. Who's got the best answer? It's going to be the best one I can tell already. Who's got it? What do you got? Yeah, Ken it's the best. Ask. 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 God? They're okay. I'm, i good. Just, I just check in, you know. It's your wife sitting right next to you there. So I just, I just yeah. Ask God. You want to get your faith on, you ask for faith. Because, uh, you know, most things are helped through gifts uh, from heaven. So that's really good. Uh, We're just sort of closing down, wrapping up this series that we've been on on about calling. We're we're talking about how we get called and then how we become callers in the world. We call out to the world. Um, And we've talked about a few different aspects of calling Uh, generally. We've talked about how the first thing you need to understand about God's call is that it's a call to decision, right? You don't become a person of calling without actually deciding, Uh, for Christ and the second thing you need to understand is that when God calls you he calls you to build something important to do something important when Jesus calls a person he always calls that person to a mission always you see it in scripture all the time Uh, to hear your call to hear the voice of God uh, you just have to listen simply maybe in a powerful pause in the morning or something like that Uh, and you have to you have to listen to the Lord speak without filter just let him say what he's going to say and if you're willing to do that and to practice that just a little bit, I can really pretty much guarantee you, you're going to hear uh, the living God of the universe uh, tell you about your life purpose. You have to be willing to change once you hear it. We talked about the story of Jonah. God gave him a pretty specific mission and he said, uh, no, uh, and then all sorts of things happened and involved a big fish and being vomited on a beach and stuff like that. Uh, the call that God gives anyone is ultimately a, God, a call to eternity because this life is just the setup for what comes. Um, last week we talked about having a place of calling or really a place of transformation which is what a church is called to be. Um, a place where you come and you will be transformed if you hang out. Uh, and a place that sends out into the world uh, to be transforming. And today we're going to talk about what it takes to call others powerfully. like you know, Not just like you know, preach the gospel to someone, but actually have it be powerful. Actually have it be rather supernatural, rather amazing. And how do you do that? And then we'll just kind of leave the series there at that. We're going to talk about calling others with power, how to call others with power, and what that takes exactly. I was having a... uh, I was looking at some old pictures this week. Um, Just having a a walk down memory lane. And... uh, thinking about uh, people from previous church plants that Sonia and I did, and I was thinking about this one guy uh, who came uh, to our little church in South Chicago when it was just starting. You no, know, he was a student at the university, uh, came from an atheist background, and then, I don't know, I forget who it was, but somebody in the, in the group kind of befriended him. I was having a conversation with him uh, one, one evening and basically he was, you know, talking to me about the virtues of being an atheist and being objective and all that stuff. And uh, he, he made the mistake uh, along the way as, you know, I responded with him and, and talked to him about his intellectual objections. He said, Jordan, you know, you're not like other Christians. It's a very dangerous thing to say to me. Uh, and I guess I was in a bit of a grumpy mood or something, I don't know, and I said, maybe you don't know what a Christian is. Maybe you've never actually befriended a Christian and had an honest conversation with a Christian. And uh, and he, he listened, he heard it, Um, uh, he had been to our small group before, but he came to our small group again that met in our apartment, and we ended up uh, praying for the guy. Long story short, the Holy Spirit just kept falling on him, and he became kind of a Holy Spirit junkie uh, in that group. He would come and just ask for prayer all the time, and the Lord would just speak to him. Of course, he gave his life uh, to the Lord uh, from there. But I was thinking about that first conversation and what made it work. What made it work? And I think it, it may have been something like what, what Caleb said. It may have been just boldness, just frankness, just not fooling around and saying, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think you know what it means to follow Jesus. I don't think you've ever honestly looked what it means to follow Jesus. And just sort of take it from there. I'm not sure it's what I said that counted. It might have been how I said it that counted. You know, as my wife tells me a lot, 80% of communication is tone. My wife says that to me a lot. <laughs> for some reason, I don't know what it is. <laughs> but boldness is a tone, isn't it? I mean, We say that faith is an attitude, uh, Blue Water Mission. An Attitude is an approach to something, right? Faith isn't what you believe, it's what you do with what you believe, right? Uh, faith is an approach, boldness is an approach. And, And there's something about that that makes our call to the world really powerful. Speak the truth with confidence, and the truth comes alive in a powerful sort of way. Uh, I want to read a scripture from um, one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, My favorite Gospel, because it's the shortest and simplest of the four Gospels. The Gospels are books in the Bible that are histories about Jesus written by people, uh, people's eyewitness accounts of Jesus uh, in his day. Mark was the first one written uh, quite soon after Jesus' death. And then Matthew and Luke wrote their Gospels based on Mark, actually, and some additional reflections and interviews. And then a little bit later, the Gospel of John came. But Mark was like the original Christian document. It was it was the original circular email of the Kingdom of God. It was the only—it was the only authoritative document that people could check. You know, it was—it was the source material. Um, and uh, originally, uh, so they say, Mark ended with the story of of the resurrection. Um, and uh, the women discovering the empty tomb, and then this phrase from the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Dot, dot, dot. And that's how the thing ended. Uh, And then, so scholars say, a few years later, uh, uh, there there was some sort of an addendum or appendage or something like that. Uh, People uh, had come up with... uh, the rest of the story sort of thing. And, in, and uh, so slightly later manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark has, has this uh, appendage on it that talks about encountering Jesus after the resurrection. Uh, and it's kind of natural that it progressed that way because people would want to know the rest of the story, right? Originally, Mark was a preaching document and the women were freaked out because Jesus wasn't in the tomb. Now let me tell you the rest of the story. And somebody would minister the rest of the story personally. And then the church became so widespread that they had to write it down. Um, And this is what they wrote down. Um, I will pick it up on verse uh, 15 uh, from Mark chapter 16. And I'll read uh, through the end of the chapter, uh, verse 20. This is Jesus talking. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison it will not hurt them at all. What kind of parties were these guys going to is my question they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. And then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. One of the reasons they included this at at the end of the Gospel of Mark, obviously, was because it happened. Right? Um, And... uh, one of the questions they were trying to answer is how did Christianity spread so much? Because now people who were hearing a reading of the Gospel of Mark knew what Christians were because they had spread so rapidly around that area of the world. And so what the author is trying to do here is simply explain how it worked so amazingly well, what went down. Um, and here's, here's my summary of, of how it went down. Uh, and what Jesus said uh, to his, uh, his followers here at the end of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, he said, go into all the world and preach the news to all creation. Basically, he says, go give them a chance to decide. And tell them about me and give them a chance to decide. Dot, dot, dot. A lot of miracles are going to happen along the way. And he lists all of these crazy miracles, you know, this is healings and stuff like that, but also, and, you know, snakes won't bug you, and you can drink poison, you don't have to worry about it. You know, never mind the assassination attempts and all that stuff. A lot of miracles revolved. And then it's gonna work really well. And then the author appends at the end, uh, and it worked really well, all of these people, uh, went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word, confirmed his message, is what it says in the Greek, with the signs that accompanied it. Well, what signs accompanied it? Well, it would have been the signs listed earlier in the paragraph. You know, the healings and the, the impervious health and, and stuff like that. Um, and that's how it ends. Uh, That's according to the Gospel of Mark, um, normal Christianity. What do you think about that? Normal Christianity. We don't have snakes in Hawaii, so we'll give ourselves a pass on that one. Poison? You'll step on vana and not be skewered? That works. Kind of a fiery passage, right? And it's interesting that someone would go out of the way to put this at the end of the Gospel of Mark as if to say, okay, this is the model for normal. This is how we're spreading so well in the world. And like super challenging. Um, These guys preached with a tremendous amount of effectiveness and a tremendous amount of power. Here's a question. Let's dive in with a weird question in, in in this passage. Judging by this passage, what makes the miracles flow really well? for Christians. You want to go out, you want to perform a bunch of miracles. What makes it flow really, really well for Christians? What was that, Derek? Was that, yeah, what'd you got? Community. Community. Interesting. Community, because um, uh, Jesus talks to groups. They went out, uh, typically in groups we know uh, from history. Um, uh, we say a Blue Water, culture is the best coach. So if everybody's doing it, everybody will do it, you know, that sort of thing. That's an interesting answer. Yeah. What do you got, Robin? Uh, the, Lord you. the Lord helping you makes miracles for you. Uh, <laughs> Let's say yes, yes, def- definitely, uh, because it says the, uh, the Lord worked with them and confirmed uh, their preaching uh, with them. signs and wonders. Yeah, that's interesting. What else? If you wanted to do something to become super miraculous in the world, to perform a lot of miracles, what, what should you do? Try. try. There's a great blue water answer. You're not going to perform any miracles if you don't try miracles. So that's good. Faith is trying. I like that. What else? Jim? Just go preach the gospel. Just go preach the gospel. Yeah, if you were going to lift from this passage a couple direct um, explanations of how to become a grand miracle worker on the faith of the earth, you would pick uh, two things. The, f- the first one says, uh, uh, whoever believes, uh, excuse me, and these signs will accompany those who believe. Um, in my name, they will drive out demons, they'll speak in new tongues, they'll pick up snakes, they'll drink poison and all that stuff. So you have to, you have to believe. You have to have, you have to have faith. You have to get your faith on. And then the second thing is preach. If you want to be really supernaturally powerful miracle-working in the world, then evidently you should preach because the disciples preached everywhere. They were just preaching nuts. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his, his word, his message, by the sign that accompanied it. So if you preach Jesus' message, evidently he'll make you a miracle worker. That's what it sounds like. Is that what it sounds like to you? Uh, and it's not something that we think of a lot. You want to be a miracle worker? Well, preach the message. Preach the message. You know, we know we should believe. You know, faith does miracles, right? We know that. But do you know that uh, if he preaches his word, if he preaches message, that is, that it will make you a miracle worker. If you want supernatural power, believe. If you want more supernatural power, preach the message. Uh, And that's kind of how Mark wraps up. This is just really, really interesting. Um, Preach the message. What message? Um, That's a question that you might have when you read the passage. Well, the gospel of Mark, uh, you know, spells out the message in the previous 15 chapters. Uh, Mark calls it uh, the gospel of the kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom of God is the phrase that comes from from Mark uh, throughout this text. Uh, And the kingdom of God was really Jesus' message. That's really what he preached. He came up with this concept called the kingdom of God on earth or the kingdom of heaven on earth. And uh, it was his thesis statement for his whole ministry. He announces it in Mark chapter 1. And then for the rest of the book, Mark is just... uh, Reporting Jesus' explanations and demonstrations of what the kingdom is like. And we talk about this a lot at Blue Water. Uh, the kingdom of heaven on earth is like the order of heaven come to the chaos of the world, right? In heaven, nobody's sick, obviously. So where the kingdom of heaven on earth manifests, sick people get miraculously healed. In heaven, nobody's, I don't know, demonized. So when the order of heaven is ministered in the chaos of the earth, demons flee. Uh, In heaven, nobody's poor or deprived of anything, so when the order of heaven manifests on earth, um, poverty disappears. Everybody has plenty, right? Even if it needs to be provided supernaturally, like with the miracle of the loaves and fishes, right? You have, you know, a couple sandwiches and you can feed a crowd of thousands. That's how it works in the kingdom of heaven. It's all this crazy, miraculous power. And then, of course, fundamentally in heaven, everybody knows God and knows his character and experiences his love and his wisdom. And so when that order of heaven manifests in the chaos of earth, people come into a true relationship with God, appreciating his love and his character and walking in the confidence of that. So think of the order of heaven manifesting on earth, and that's our message. We can explain it with our words, and we can do it with our miraculous deeds. And that's kind of the Christian tradition. It's also the Christian calling, right? And it's kind of what Jesus told his guys uh, to do. So preach that. It strikes me that the sort of preaching that these guys did, if it was indeed according to the the passages in Mark, uh, was not the preaching of uh, a vague encouragement. You know, it was not... It was not mm, followers of Jesus trying to be friends with the world, trying to overwhelm people with their friendliness and their niceness or something like that. Um, It was a sort of preaching that provoked decisions for Christ. Right? It was not designed to make you comfortable, their preaching. It was designed to make you make a decision. How do we know that? Well, one of the first things uh, it says is whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. The word for saved is sozo uh, in in the Greek. So whoever believes and is baptized will be restored. It's kind of a literal translation of it. So you have to believe, you have to nod your head, and then you need to get baptized, which is, you know, it's just a ritual, but it's a ritual that denotes something. You know, if you go out and you get baptized publicly, uh, then you're sort of declaring, oh, I've made a decision for Jesus. I just didn't want there to be any doubt about it. You know, I'm in. I have dived in, quite literally, right? And that's why the ritual is so useful and why baptisms are so fun and often so transformative, even for seven-year-olds, evidently. You know, she was, she was the youngest gal who got baptized. You know, I didn't even know that she was going to be baptized. And, and it was very powerful uh, to baptize her. Um, but it's a bold statement, right? It's a decision. The first thing you understand about God's call in your life is that it is a call to decision. And so she made that bold decision, as bold as she could, bless her little heart, and boldness, which is a sort of confidence, which is a sort of faith, always releases power. Always releases power. And so it's a bold sort of preaching that, that... is designed to provoke bold sorts of decisions, right? It wasn't a milk toast, wishy-washy, vague, overly gray sort of preaching. It was like, are you in or are you not in? Because this train is moving, right? And, and I want you to get a grip on it. I want you to get a grip on it. Um, why, does, why does that sort of decisive or decision-oriented preaching make miracles flow? Well, because miracles are empowered by faith, right? And decisive, bold preaching uh, releases it. So I was reading this passage. I thought of um, another favorite passage of mine uh, from the book of Acts, Act chapter 4. It's actually just uh, a matter of uh, a couple of years probably uh, after... Um, Uh, the time that uh, Mark 16 records. And and, uh, the faith has been spreading in Jerusalem where it's kind of been headquartered up to that point. And uh, the religious leaders in Jerusalem are just getting very upset. They were the guys that plotted to kill Jesus and now they've begun to plot to kill Christians. They killed James. He was the first disciple to be killed. And then they throw Peter and John in jail. Then Peter and John get out of jail. And on their release, they have this sort of impromptu uh, prayer meeting. Um, and in the midst of that prayer meeting, Peter, John, and the rest of the believers stand up, and they say, Now, Lord, consider their threats, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Just right out of Mark 16, right? We're going to go out, and we're going to preach. Let us preach with great boldness. Decisive preaching, designed for decision-making, Enable your servants to speak your message with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Evidently, the early Christians prayed exactly in line with Mark 16. Right? It's like, what we want is to be able to preach your message like you preached your message and, and move in your power because we got work to do. And in the face of life-threatening actions from the authorities, they didn't pray for safety. (laughs) They prayed for more boldness. I bet for most of you, it's easier, um, I'm talking to Blue Water people, it's easier for you to offer to pray for someone's physical healing than it is for you to ask them to make a decision for Jesus. Because the world has sort of a pocket for miracles. It's weird. But the world detests the idea of conversion and evangelism. They have words for it like proselytizing and stuff like that. Uh, Every cultural force in our society is trying to get you to keep your mouth shut. Right? and to not have any confidence whatsoever in asking people to make a decision that would lead to baptism. Right? To me, evangelizing someone is harder than doing a miracle. Do you think that's true? Yes. You blue water veterans? Because the world will accept your miracle and be like, that's nice. But if you're like, you should probably make a decision for Christ and get baptized, then they're like, I don't know, what do they say? You're close-minded, yeah. Um, You Christians, at which point you might want to say, maybe you don't understand what a Christian is. Uh, Maybe you don't know what it's actually like uh, to follow Jesus. Anyway, I just wanted to point that out, that the message that we preached is a message unto decision-making. The miracles we perform are just part of that. And if we do the message preaching really, really well, the decision-seeking really, really well, our miracles probably will multiply. Multiply. Until we get into a situation where the miracles that we're seeing makes our preaching more effective. And our bold preaching makes the miracles easier. And then there's just sort of a self-reinforcing cycle happening. Um, You know, and so, do both. You know, if you do one, you better do the other. Seems to be the message of Mark 16 and Acts chapter 4 and many, many, many other passages in the New Testament um, that I could name. And I just have this feeling, it's just been growing in me for four or five months, um, that... And I'll just speak for Blue Water, that we're going to see so much fruitfulness from preaching like this. You know, it's this very, very bold, decision-oriented witnessing invitations. Come see. You, you probably should come to church. You, you won't be the same when you leave. Sort of that, that sort of invitation. And then just like, oh, well, here, let me heal that oh, you're really struggling with that. Let me pray for you. Maybe there's some sort of spiritual oppression there, uh, a demon that needs to be cast out. Uh, maybe we need a miracle of provision. I'll tell you what, let's just pray together and, uh, you know, go all loaves and fishes on it uh, and see what happens. But it's all part of our preaching. And preaching is part of the miracle stuff. You understand what I'm saying? They go together. Go like this. It's both sides. It's a two-handed grip. So do not neglect miracles or preaching. Now, if you're visiting your deck today, you may be like, uh, me included? Uh, Sure. Especially you. You know, especially you. Uh, Maybe you, you know, like my friend back in Chicago is like, well, this is interesting, but, you know, I'm an atheist. Well, great. God loves atheists. Um, you have great surprises uh, in store for you because this world is, is, is not uh, everything. It's not everything. You probably kind of suspect that in your soul. This world isn't everything. It may even be part of the reason that you're here this morning. Uh, and um, what Jesus is offering you is probably not what you previously thought. I'll just put it that way. Can I get an amen from the veterans? Oh yeah, it's a little bit different than the world tells you it is. It's a little bit different than the world tells you it is. Christians are a little bit different than the world tells you they are. Church is a little bit different than the world tells you it is because the world is a big fat liar. It's a big fat liar. And we do our level best, our humble best, to live according to the truth instead. And it involves a great deal of countercultural strength, a great deal of boldness, a great deal of supernatural over and against what the world thinks is normal. It's really interesting to follow Jesus. And you might want to come and see uh, what it's like. Um, so I'm pretty confident about all of that, uh, having walked with him a while. And I hope that you are too. And I hope. Uh, that this sermon has given you some ideas about how to get your faith on. How to get your faith on, you know. Uh, Somebody said, preach the gospel to yourself. That's a great way to to get your faith on. You know the great way to get your faith on? Preach the gospel to someone else. Someone else. Because that's going to require a lot of faith from you. And wherever there's a lot of faith, you see a lot of miracles, don't you? Um, So if you're in, you're in. Uh, I'm going to uh, uh, begin next week, I'm going to start a new sermon uh, that's sort of the working title is, uh, the new sermon series, the working title is uh, There is a God and His ways are smart. I'll probably come up with a better title uh, between uh, between now and, and next week but you know I'm just sort of fixated in this idea of speaking truth to power of just kind of like formulating and speaking the simple truth Uh, about God in a world that, uh, again, is is a big fat liar and is trying to really bully Christians into submission through every institution, every institution. And you know what? The church has been through this before. People have declared the church dead so many times over the last 2,000 years. I bet you we're growing. I bet you this is gonna be a season of rather impressive renewal a rather impressive revival around the world. I bet you. I'd stake my life on it. I think I will. I think I will. So there is a God, and uh, his ways are smart. So what I'm looking for are people that are like, yeah, I'm going to preach for decision. You know, I'm going to be bold in my preaching. I might even call it preaching. You know, who wants to be preachy? Come on, let's redeem the word, shall we? They took that away from us. Let's redeem it. Who wants to be preachy? And, and if you want to be preachy, I'm just going to ask you, to, Amen! That's what I'm talking about. Milo's not afraid. She's like, I'm just going to preach the word. See what happens. Yeah. Um, if you want to be preachy, stand up, I just want to pray for you. If you want to be preachy, Unabashedly so. Only if you want to be preaching. And, you know, I would you know, actually think soberly about it uh, because the Lord sees you standing. So think soberly about it. The Lord's going to see you stand. You're giving him license to disrupt and provoke. And there's wisdom to, you know, thinking it through before you stand and go for it. You don't have to be impatient with yourself. But if you want to be preachy, stand up, and I will pray for the kingdom to come upon you. So, Father God, I pray that from this body you would raise up powerful preachers. Powerful preachers. Powerful decision-getters. Powerful restorers. Because any who believe and are baptized will be restored. Restored to health. Restored to sanity. Restored to eternity. Restored to purpose. Restored to their design. And we will preach it in Jesus' name with signs and wonders following. And we just stand up in you for your kingdom. As we stand here, we will stand up in our workplaces. We will stand up at our schools. We will stand up in our interactions on the street. We will stand up in our neighborhoods. We will put out the call in Jesus' name. We will stand for Jesus. In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen.